welcome to Ministry in Motion, where we explore best practices for your ministry in the 21st century. Whether you're an elder, a volunteer in your local church, a pastor in your church, Ministry in Motion is designed for you. Our topic today is a very real one. We're looking at changing an environment from hostility to harmony. And our special guest is Dr. Bill Knott. Bill Knott is the editor and executive publisher of Adventist World and Adventist Review. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. Good to be with you. Now, hostility, it's very real in some ways. It's not a rare thing, is it? Um, expand on that for us, will you? Almost everyone who's moved into a new ministry situation has early on discovered pockets of hostility. Sometimes we don't know why those are there, and sometimes they're not there for very rational reasons. But the reality of hostility comes from the fact that every faith community is living with the brokenness and the dysfunction that comes from being sinful human beings. And so when we walk into a new ministry environment, we're immediately going to see examples of that dysfunction and disharmony and that alienation in the hostility directed at either good ideas or sometimes even good people. We like to believe that we and as ministry leaders are part of those good people, yeah. but our reality is that we are often struggling to find a way to, to, to reconcile these hostile voices back with the larger community that we're there to serve. Yeah. So brokenness is not a, a rare, isolated thing, and there's different degrees of it. But really, when we look at ourselves, sin has marred us all, hasn't it? Apostle Paul said, you know, all have sinned and fall short, as in continuously fall short of the glory of God. Brokenness is the norm yeah. in our, not only our world, but let's face it, it's also the norm even among those who are followers of Jesus. Yeah. That we can't escape that brokenness by wishing it away or not talking about it. We don't, however, have to be trapped by it permanently. And this is the good news of the gospel. It is good That news. our brokenness is, can be healed and that there are in fact steps which we as ministry leaders can help our congregations, our, the groups we serve to take that lead us from a climate of hostility to one of harmony. So what does a spirit-led community look like in that kind of a world? It begins with clear teaching and preaching and modeling from the ministry leader about what should be the norms of this new community Jesus has formed. Mm -hmm. And it's new every time we gather. It isn't just new because we planted this church five years ago or last month. It's literally new each time we gather. And that in fact the ministry leader has a unique opportunity and I would maintain a unique responsibility to put out in front of that community a vision of itself as a reconciled and reconciling group of people. That, in, that he or she holds up for that community a norm that is not being held up in secular society or in the political world around us. It's difficult in almost any time frame to think of the U.S. Congress and use the word reconciliation mm -hmm. in the same, ver same sentence unless they are talking about the reconciliation of some bill between the houses. Reconciliation is not part of our world's vocabulary. It must be a central word in the vocabulary of any faith community that's going to follow Jesus. He, the Apostle Paul describes that to us, to all of us, 
is given this ministry of reconciliation and specifically to those called to leadership roles. Mm. It's reminding me of the words of Matthew 5. Blessed are the peacemakers that, that Jesus called us to, this message of reconciliation. It's, it's, you're describing it as part of the community, part of the lifestyle, and, and Jesus was certainly putting it foremost there as well. In fact, uh, it's fair to say that one of the unfortunate features of our society today is that peacemaking has become tagged with a political agenda. If you're a peacemaker, you're assumed to be a progressive or a liberal or something else, when in reality, the most conservative values are the biblical values articulated by Jesus, and peacemaking is central to those. Mm, mm. But in fact, peacemaking doesn't belong to those we think of as somehow not having a firm grasp on principles and truth. Peacemaking is exactly the task of those who have been given a clearer and better understanding of God's truth. It would compromise. It's certainly oh. a tainted term. Oh, it, it is. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it, the, if you wish to invite scorn on yourself in the political world today, use the word compromise, mm. and everyone will find some unfavorable adjective to tag you with. But even in the church, compromise. Compromise has become associated because of its use in the political culture around us with the idea that we're giving up something valuable, trading for just good feelings. No, in fact, the, the process of negotiation, which is central to reconciliation, that process of negotiation is a biblical process. Look at the, the divine human encounters that go throughout Scripture. One of my favorites is Moses, the call at the burning bush. Read the story of Moses' encounter with God and you discover a fascinating negotiation between someone who didn't want to do what God was calling him to do, yet God engaged in a negotiation with a human being, mm. condescended mm. to talk and back and forth as they do for quite some space in Genesis and Exodus rather. So it is a crucial aspect of ministry, Bill. It's foundational. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, now... There is a purpose for disagreements. Oh, yes. Because we all, when, when we're looking at harmony, when we think about harmony, harmony doesn't involve playing all the same identical notes no. all the same time. No. Harmony involves yeah. um, different notes being played, but in unison and producing a melody that, that comes from it. I, I wish I could say you were describing the junior high bands I were part <laughs> of. I was part of for many years, or way too long, some some would say. But in fact, the the harmony when it happens comes because we all have the intention to make this sound together in a in a qualitatively good way. Mm. If we don't have that intention it will sound like many junior high bands do sound, mm -hmm. which is in fact a bit cacophonous, individuals not really aware of or taking direction from the director or the conductor or from the people sitting next to them. It begins with the intention of each of us to say, God's calling me to be something more than I am. How do I handle disagreements? You and I are gonna have them. We see the world differently and frankly, even our God-givenness 
in our insights may cause us to see differently. It's not that God's lined up with you, Anthony, or with me, and that it, the process of negotiation is just to convince me that I'm in error or you that you're in error. In fact, disagreement may lead us to a completely third alternative which God wants both of us to discover. Exactly. So disagreements can have benefits and blessings that, that flow from it. One of my college professors used to use the line somewhat uh, in, uh, tongue in cheek, but it, we never forgot it. Um, if two people are always disagreeing, one of them is not necessary. Mm. And I've lived that experience many times, discovering that it is those people who disagree with me who serve me best. Mm. Those who don't go along and get along just to put up with an overbearing personality like mine, those individuals who actually challenge and disagree with me end up serving my thinking best. Helpful insights, Bill. We'll be right back with more Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today is changing an environment from hostility to harmony. And our guest is Dr. Bill Knott. Bill, just before the break, we were looking at hostility and I'd like to pursue a little more with you the benefits that, that can come from some hostility. Hostility uh, can be either directed at a person or at an idea. Mm -hmm. And you and I could know the fact that I could be hostile to an idea you express because it doesn't meet my truth claims without exhibiting hostility toward you as an individual. Getting that distinction made is one of the things we have to teach people and frankly have to practice mm -hmm. in the church community. We have to actually go through experiences where we try to work with each other and Bringing up difficult topics is frequently a useful way to do that. There are now groups, both secular and faith-based, that spend exactly this time practicing with each other, learning how to talk through challenging issues with each other with the goal that they make peace, that they overcome their bigotry, their prejudice, whatever it is that is keeping them in their armed camps. Mm. Disagreement can actually be a source of enormous enrichment in the community in a faith community. God may have things to teach us in the process of disagreeing that neither of us have thought of and that in fact lead us closer to his revealed will for us. Mm -hmm. The fact of our disagreement is not a, 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 an illustration of sin. We see in scripture numerous disagreements between godly people, both of whom we are, we are expected to admire and respect and understand as godly. Thus, Paul and, and Barnabas disagree, a, a famous case. Mm. But Abraham and Lot. Now, some of us prefer Abraham to Lot in the Genesis account, but both of them end up in the book of Hebrews in God's hall of fame. Mm. So in God's equation, even their disagreements end up somehow expanding his kingdom and growing his kingdom. Mm. That disagreement can be that catalyst that causes growth in a faith community if we're truly listening to each other, not just making our speeches, but listening to each other's answers. Yeah, yeah. So once again, it's coming back to this point of the perpetualness of yeah, this, yeah. constantly overcoming and working through the disagreements. They're inevitable. 
they are everything from you know petty to sublime in any faith community. Mm. The favorite one that many of us who've been involved with congregations laugh about is is the the church fights that erupt over the color of the carpet or the picking of the windows mm. or some aspect of the building, and those can become intense. But the reason they become intense is that we have not practiced the principles of peacemaking. We have assumed that peacemaking just was somehow a gift God put in you by a temperament or emotion and that we didn't have to practice these things. But like any other godly skill, it, it requires practice in order to work. We must learn the exercises of peacemaking if we intend to live as Jesus calls us to live, as peacemakers. Bridge building. Absolutely. And it's, it's the role of ministry, isn't it? It is, in my view, one of the foundational pieces of ministry. Bridge building that connects alienated people to God, mm -hmm. most importantly, firstly, and then, and that, in that horizontal dimension, connecting alienated persons to other alienated persons in what is supposedly called a faith community. Mm. We walk into many ministry situations and discover the armed camps that are there. Those for the red carpet, those for the blue carpet, those for, no, for curtains, those for shades on the windows. We discover that everybody has already staked out their camp and what they want to do is pull the ministry leader into that camp. Mm -hmm. Our role is to say, are we hearing each other? Are we listening to each other? How do we build bridges between each other? One of my favorite illustrations of this is the, a, a very true story that comes out of how they built the first bridge across Niagara Falls. When they were trying to build the first suspension bridge across that enormous and dangerous chasm, they could find no way to do it mechanically, the engineers who studied it. One day, the lead engineer is out walking on the Canadian side and sees a, a young boy flying a kite. And he's flying it way out over the falls. And he says to the boy, could you land that kite on the other side of the falls? And the kid said, I'm good, I could. Could you be here tomorrow morning and land that kite, that string on the other side? The boy says, I'll be here. To this day, on the Canadian side of the falls, there is a festival honoring that boy because when he landed that kite on the other side, the engineer stretched over that thin kite line a slightly heavier line, and over that line a slightly heavier line until they built up the first suspension cable to cross the Niagara chasm and ultimately the first vehicular traffic could go across that chasm. Wow. That example of bridge building I love because it shows its incremental nature. Mm. You build a slightly, pull a slightly heavier line over the first one you landed. You continually build up the contacts and the willingness. It will one day bear traffic. People will actually meet on that bridge one day, but not the first time you try it. Yeah. And with that bridge, the, the, the attack of the elements, yes. the swiftness of oh, the current, yeah, yeah. The, the, the weather, yeah. the, the expansion in the summer heat, yeah. the contraction yeah. in the winter cold, it, it, it requires perpetual maintenance and care for that bridge. In fact, um, the, 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 the foolishness is to think that it doesn't, mm. that it, it will somehow, once we've built it, it will stay. Yeah. It doesn't. It requires constant maintenance. And you know stories of this out of your own experience. Exactly. We were just reflecting earlier about the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Yes. There's a saying in Australia where if you just talk about a task being like painting the Sydney Harbour Bridge, yeah. it means it's a perpetual task yeah. that's, that's always got to be done. 
just as soon as you finish exactly you've got to start start again and and paint the bridge and 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 thus the ministry leader doesn't look at peacemaking as something i do in a moment of crisis it's something we do when we enter the faith community it's something we regularly do it's something we model it's something we teach even when we are not in a crisis that's when we should be teaching peacemaking, mm. not just hoping to somehow get through the next crisis or the next moment of hostility. Yeah. We have to be teaching godly gospel principles of communicating, of contact, of bearing each other's burdens. Well, you've got me thinking now because I want to go and look at Matthew chapter 5 and yeah. look at the, the, the word that Jesus used there for, for peacemaking yeah. Yeah. just to see because I'm sure it would involve the, the continual process of peacemaking. It, it is it is not a fixed point. It's not something we do once. Uh, we tend to think of peacemaking in our culture now in maybe military terms. I'm attracted to the story of Nelson Mandela. Uh, just in today's calendar, 25 years ago yesterday, he walked out of the prison in South Africa and into the world spotlight. And it, but known and honored to this day because when he found power in his culture, he did not use it destructively. He established Truth and Reconciliation Commission, mm. which was designed to find out what happened during the evils of apartheid, how those evils could be corrected, but ultimately with the goal of reconciling a very divided and polarized society. It's exactly that feature that even a secular world honors him for today, never mind those of us who understand that he did this for his reasons of his own personal faith. Mm. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? It is. One thing I'd love to explore with you is how do we create opportunities? How do we do this? How do we create opportunities for this reconciliation process? We'll do that right after this break. Stay with us. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today is changing the environment from hostility to harmony. And our guest is Dr. Bill Knott. Bill, creating opportunities for reconciliation. Uh, this is one of the hows of how we do it. Talk us through that, will you? Sure. Almost every faith community can be understood even a few weeks or months after we enter that in our role in a leadership way. We, we begin to be aware of the groups, the factions, in some cases, almost the political parties that exist there. Mm. We can accept that as normative and just navigate our way through and let them go on living the broken, alienated life that the world lives, or we can say, this is not what we are called to be. And so it seems to me a ministry leader, a pastor, an elder, volunteer leader even, is charged with a special responsibility to go in and get people engaged in conversations. If my congregation is divided between over a language barrier, there is a large element that speaks one language primarily, and another group that not only doesn't speak that language, but doesn't particularly feel any affinity to those who do. Mm. Shall I just let that go on, dividing the body of Christ? Well, scripture tells me, it's my job as a ministry leader to bring these communities into conversation. I may need a translator to do yeah, that. Yeah. I may need a mediator, and I might not have those skills myself, but I know mediators. I know people I can go out and bring in as consultants to help this community to begin to experience the wholeness for which God called them out. Yeah. Um, reconciliation also is, is 
crucial in the, in the verbal modeling of it. Th th those congregations, those ministry groups that succeed in building reconciled communities talk about it a lot. They don't just save it for moments of crisis, as we said before. My personal example comes out of the, the spring before my wife and I, now my wife, got, you know, got engaged. God brought into my life, I was in seminary at the time, a fellow pastor whose constant theme was reconciliation. You couldn't spend 15 minutes with him without hearing the word reconcile or reconciliation. I thought it was a little overdone, <laughs> but it was his theme. It was what he talked about. I have blessed that man so many times because it was precisely because God planted him in my life. I learned that vocabulary. And when, as Debbie and I began negotiating our way through engagement, courtship and engagement, and ultimately marriage, I would hear that word and I would remember the higher principle to which I was called. Mm. It's that language use so common, so frequent, that it becomes the vocabulary of the community that begins to make it successful as a lived experience. Mm. So it wasn't overdone. No, it wasn't, actually. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't be without it today. Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah. Now, there are some in our church that really need some protection, the, the yeah. marginalized, yeah. Um, those who whose opinions the church may have moved on from and may feel disaffected. Yes. How, how do we keep that embrace of harmony? Have you got some insights so that they don't feel as though their opinions have been trampled on and disregarded? And This is where Jesus' model of decision-making in the body is unlike our political systems, which are frankly built on win-lose mm -hmm. environments. If I've got the votes and you don't, I win and you don't. And if I can keep the votes on my side, I get a permanent majority. And we frankly don't care very much that you don't like it. In fact, it may make us happy that you don't like it. That's the world's way of thinking and way too often the church's way of thinking. There's the victor and there's the loser. And, and the loser is a loaded term. And when you're a loser in a faith community, you lose more than a political vote. You lose a connection to a life-giving community. Yeah. And Jesus didn't intend there to be losers in the faith community. So it's particularly the responsibility of the ministry leader or the pastor to reach out to those groups that aren't winning the votes, mm. to those whose viewpoints are minority viewpoints in the, in the wider congregation or the group, and to bring them back into the discussion. They're going to feel alienated if they lost the vote about the carpet color mm. or what kind of window shades you're going to have. How do we go back out and say, no, 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 that was a relatively minor decision. You're an important part of this community. We need your voice. That requires a skillful person to go back and say, let us hear you. Tell us why you believe as you do. Why does this matter so importantly to you? We may have missed something here. We may not have heard you clearly. One very skillful administrator I've watched over the years has done this superlatively. Really? I've often been in environments, sometimes tense ones, where difficult issues were being discussed and we knew that we were going to come down to a vote. He would deliberately delay the vote while he reached out to those minority perspectives in the room that he knew were going to lose any up or down mm -hmm. vote. Mm -hmm. And he called them out and said, now, I don't think you're, you feel as many of us in the room do. Tell us why. Why do you see it this way? Making sure 
we had heard them clearly. They felt empowered. They felt that they were being well listened to. And even if the vote didn't go their way at the end, they still knew they were a treasured part of the community and weren't going to be permanent losers mm. in that community. That, I've congratulated that administrator for that skill he shows. And to this day, in doing that, I think that's, again, an, an illustration that ought to be permeate our, our world as ministry leaders. How do I reach out and, and help those who are not feeling powerful in this environment, mm -hmm. who are feeling that their viewpoints aren't being heard? How do I bring them back into the conversation? It's part of my job as a ministry leader. Exactly. What you're describing there is just a, a lovely image of grace. Absolutely. R rather than crushing the, you know, and being the, the, the victor, it's, it's keeping the community together and growing the community because both sides gain when there is this, this I, connection. Using the illustration I just mentioned of this particular administrator, the majority makes a better decision at the end, having clearly heard the minority, having heard their reasons, maybe their emotions that lie behind their position. We make a wiser decision together when we've heard each other well. Thank you, Bill. And thank you for joining us for another program on Ministry in Motion. All churches face these difficulties. All Christians live in these broken communities. But how we navigate through it and how we can be a peacemaker just as Jesus called us to be. One of the beautiful aspects of ministry. Once again, thank you for joining us on Ministry in Motion. You're welcome to visit our website, ministryinmotion.tv, vast resources there. But until next time, may God bless you richly.